and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm glad to see you. So glad we could be together this morning uh, as we dive back into God's Word. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out, if you will. We study the Bible here. We have this old school belief here at Bentry, and it's, it's that this, only God's Word, the Bible, that truly has the power as the Holy Spirit works through it to unpack it in our hearts. It's the thing that God uses to change our hearts, God's Word. So as uh, instead of telling you a bunch of funny stories to make you laugh um, or giving you some good ideas on like how to organize your life or make your life better or even telling you kind of feel good uh, chicken soup for the soul kind of stories designed to give you goosebumps and say, oh, isn't that awesome? Um, we think simply the preaching of God's word Kind of going verse by verse, letting the Holy Spirit then come and unpack for us that is the thing that will grow us into the Christ followers he has called us to be. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, that's that's important. So as we have our Bibles out, uh, uh, by the way, I'm Paul, uh, one of the pastors here. I'll be at the front door afterwards. I'd love to meet you if I've not met you yet and shake your hand and uh, just thanks for coming. Uh, well, we are in this series titled, So That You May Believe. Uh, we've been working our way through, verse by verse, through the Gospel of John, specifically in John chapter 6 for the last few months together. Uh, and we're so very close to the end. We're so close. But this and week and next week, I think, will be the end of John 6. We'll see uh, what we feel like uh, if we've covered it all. We haven't covered it all. but uh, So if you would, let's open up to John 6 and get something to write with. I'll always encourage you to bring your Bible. Take notes in your Bible. Underline. Take notes. Uh, circle stuff. And then bring a notepad or write something on your phone there. Take notes from this. So think about where we are in the story. This massive crowd uh, has now left. They had believed Jesus was the son of God, at least at a mental level. But as, after Jesus had preached and said, this is what it means to believe and to follow me, the vast crowd, 20, 25,000 people, uh, verse 60 uh, says, this is hard to believe, they say. We, it's too heavy for us, and we don't want any part of it. And so they, they leave. And remember, this isn't just the crowd that's been following him up to this point. It was many of the people that had followed him as disciples for three years now. People that willingly called themselves uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, that rabbi of Jesus. But now they're gone. Through Jesus' teaching, though, the people have begun to understand what Jesus is saying and, and what it truly means to follow Christ as a true disciple. And it's just angered the crowd. So they've split. I mean, I mean 20,000 people to 12. Well, that's a big reduction in followers. And, and yet it doesn't seem to bother Jesus even slightly, does it? In fact, we, we've been using this picture of like this funnel coming down. It's like these thousands who say they follow Jesus as they listen to him teach about who he is, what it means to follow him. And his teaching is separating real followers from Christ 
from false followers. And out of 20,000 plus, we see 11. Now, 12 are there, and that's kind of what we're talking about today with Judas. I prepared you with that, but let's take a look at verse 67 again. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, Jesus asked, will you leave because my words are not what you want to hear? Is following me too hard? Look at verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And you remember, this is where we spent the bulk of our time together uh, last week in Peter's response back to Jesus. Remember, Peter is saying, we have what? We believed and then we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We, he believed first. We all believe first. Then we get to know. And, and how had he come to know the truth of Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit for sure. We remember that from Matthew 16, 16, when Jesus had asked his disciples, they said, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter had said, you are the Christ You are the son of the living God. Jesus had said then, Peter, you didn't just figure that out on your own. My father has revealed it to you. It hadn't been the miracles Jesus had performed that had convinced Peter of Jesus' true identity. What had convinced Peter of Jesus' true identity are, are the words of Jesus. He has the words of God, the Holy One of God. So look back at verse 68 again. So Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It had been Jesus' words, Jesus' teaching, not his miracles, that had brought Peter to faith. So check this out. Write this down. It's important to understand. Jesus' words either bring spiritual life to people or his words drive people away from him. That's what we saw In the feeding of the 5,000, really the 20,000. Jesus' words either bring spiritual life to people or his words drive people away from him. It's interesting that his words drove a lot more away than stayed. This is the winnowing away we talked about a couple of Sundays ago. Or like we said, Jesus is this stumbling block. You're walking along, you, you come to Jesus and you, boom, you, you stumble over his words. In either case, if you are for him or against him, you have to stop and answer the question, is Jesus who he claims to be or is he a liar? And like this crowd that leaves, they're thinking, this is the hard stuff. This is unbelievable, they think, and, and we, we won't believe. Now, the Bible describes the gospel message like being, well, it's kind of funny, a bad smell to unbelievers. Like people that believe say, oh man, this gospel stuff is, is crazy. Uh, but for those um, that, that believe it, this is a fragrance. So the ones that don't believe think it's a bad smell. The ones that believe it think it's a good smell. It's a fragrance of life. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
and through us speaks the, uh, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. It's a good smell. And among those who are perishing, the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? As Christ's followers, as we confess Jesus to the world and we share the gospel with them, it's like a sweet fragrance of Jesus to those who believe. But for those who don't believe, it smells like death. Like a rotting corpse. They go, I don't want any of that. Do you get the analogy Paul's using here? We see that today, don't we? People that hear the gospel, it it either smells good to them, and they think, or they think, man, this is awful. Now back to John 6, verse 69. Remember the order that Peter, uh, or yeah, Peter says in John 69. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now that's the truth that we discovered last time together. That believing comes first, then the knowing of Jesus. That's all of chapter 6. And that for us, that doesn't come naturally, does it? We want to know something first before we believe it. But it's opposite. But what we found is that the believing comes first from regeneration. We are brought to life. Believing comes from being born again. And that by the Spirit of God. Unless we are born again, we will never really know Jesus in that close personal relationship that he promises. But then we look at how Peter did something wrong in verse 69. Little thing wrong, but Peter had made an assumption that seemed reasonable enough, hadn't he? He assumed that all 12 of the disciples that were left believed and knew Jesus to be the Christ. I mean, Peter is thinking, guys, we all have seen and heard who Jesus is. But then we read in verse 70 and 71, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. We're talking about Judas, are we? Now this is a passage that If we were just going to skip over verses to the fun stuff, we'd just skip this one. Nobody likes to talk about Judas. Jesus is saying not only did he know who believed, and therefore he also knew who didn't believe Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus takes it up to the next level. He calls Judas a devil. Or the name we also use, Satan, or another name, the old serpent that we read in in Revelation. Look, Jesus is not saying that Judas is actually the devil. No, Jesus is saying that the devil, though, the real devil, is doing such a work through Jesus and will be working through, I'm sorry, Judas, that it will seem as if it is the devil there himself. Satan is doing the work himself. Let's, like he's saying, it might as well be Satan himself. Because of what Judas will do. Now, I get this question sometimes from well-meaning people. And um, there are no dumb questions. So you can always ask questions. Except I've heard a few. I'm just saying. Um, Was Judas saved in the end? And the answer is no. 
The Bible is really, really, really clear on this one. Jesus says to the disciples gathered for the last supper together, he says, someone in this group is going to betray me tonight. And they all ask, they go, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Jesus said this in Matthew 26, verse 24, the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never, had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Jesus is saying, it would have been better if you had never been born, Judas. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, right here, we see the sovereignty of God and the will of man working together. Now, this is a little bit different, but it's the same idea as we've said. Do you remember those two parallel truths that we've talked about in John 6 the whole time? To be saved, one on one hand, is the election of God and God alone, that the sovereignty, His sovereignty is on display. And on the other hand, the other truth we know, we must believe to be saved. Both of those things are true. Like parallel railroad tracks that go off into the distance, they're both true. But here it is working the other way. Now, this may blow your mind. This clear picture of God's sovereignty in choosing and the need for man to believe Christ Jesus in saving faith. Now, watch. Those are parallel truths. Both, both work together. God made the choice from ages past. This may blow your mind, but hang on. From before creation, God had determined that Jesus Christ would be betrayed by Judas and die on a Roman cross for our sins. Then be resurrected on the morning of the third day, proving that he is the son of God. Amen? Amen. Well, we all believe that. That's, that's what we believe as Christians. But just as much as God's sovereignty and the will of man working together, God determined that Judas would betray Jesus. Some of you are going, but that's not fair. Now, we could struggle with that thought, and we should, of God's sovereignty foreordained Judas to betray Jesus. But listen, it's just as much the truth that Judas chose to betray Jesus. Do you see how that works? The fact God ordained it does not in any way make God the evil or author of evil or somehow excuse Judas for betraying Jesus. Are you with me? God's sovereignty does not impugn the character of God or in any way absolve Judas from the punishment he would suffer and will suffer for his role. Now look, Judas made his own choices and those choices are the total reason for his judgment and damnation. Now, we could struggle with this. We should struggle with it. It's disturbing. It's deep. It's personal. And we can't get to the bottom of it, but you get this. The evilness of Judas's choices fit perfectly into the sovereign plan of God. The evilness of Judas's choices fit perfectly into the sovereign plan of God. 
Now, we may not understand it, but it fits into the sovereign plan of God. It may mess up your view of God. But we need to understand that God is in control of everything. Not only the good, but ultimately, even he will have all, have used all the evil for his purposes. He uses the evil of mankind to accomplish his end. His own plans that work according to his own will for his glory. Now, I know some of you are struggling right now. Stay with me. I mentioned a quote a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth repeating here from Christian teacher and author Joni Erickson Tata. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now, here's Pastor Paul's version of this same quote. God uses everything the good, the bad, the ugly, to accomplish his good plans. And that does not make God evil. It reveals him to be sovereign. Like a warrior that takes the sword out of an enemy's hands and kills the enemy with the enemy's own sword, God is in control. The sword in the enemy's hands is evil because of the intent of what? The evil enemy. But in God's hand, God is using the sword for what? Good. Jesus will condemn Judas. Jesus will condemn Judas. But we have to remember that Judas was with Jesus and the others for three years. We saw and experienced every, he saw and experienced everything the other guys had. Judas had an opportunity for salvation, but he rejected it. So we know that Jesus has known all along Judas is going to betray him. So it begs us to ask this question, doesn't it? Why let Judas into the twelve? Have you ever thought about that? Why did Jesus let Judas into the inside? Why doesn't Jesus choose someone else that would, more like a John or a Peter? Couldn't Jesus have someone on the outside of the 12 betray him? Why did he let him in? Now, here's a number of reasons that we'll explore in just a moment, but the obvious one right off the bat is this one. Jesus chose Judas as one of the disciples knowing he was a devil because it had been prophesied in the scriptures. Now, this is huge. It lines up exactly with the scripture. Jesus chose Judas as one of the disciples, knowing he was a devil because it had been prophesied in the scriptures. Now, this is what Jesus says about this as he prays to God in John 17, 12. While I was with them, this is Jesus praying. He says to his father, I kept them in your care, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is referring to the prophecy in Psalm 41 verse 9. This is the prophecy, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread 
has lifted his heel against me. In other words, he's taken action against me. There are other similar passages of prophecy that say essentially the same thing. By choosing Judas as one of the 12, Jesus is fulfilling scriptural prophecy. But still, why would God cause this prophecy in the first place? I mean, why have Judas part of the inner circle at all? But Because on the surface, let's just admit, this seems like a mistake, doesn't it? It's not, but it seems like a mistake by Jesus. By the way, this is just my opinion, so this is not scripture. But here's my opinion of something. You want my opinion on something? Here's my opinion. You get it anyway. I think that Satan thought that he could get one, if he could get one into the 12, God might not notice and he could undermine God's eternal plan of redemption. Now, check this out. I believe now that we can find six reasons for Jesus purposefully choosing Judas to be on the inside of the 12. Now, these are going to blow your mind. At least they did me as we started to uncover them. Look at number one. Jesus chose Judas as an opportunity to display his own perfections. Jesus chose Judas, knowing he was a devil, as an opportunity to display his own perfection. Do you see what we mean? Jesus had allowed Judas to betray him to demonstrate Jesus' own perfections. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he said, I'm here to do what? To, To do your will, God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. Now, what scroll of the book is, is he referring to here? It's talking about the Bible, specifically what we refer to as the Old Testament, that Judas is going to be Satan's instrument. Now, it's here that we need to take a, just a few moments and do some defining Make sure that we understand what is evil. Now, if you've never thought about that, think hard about it. And how do we know something is evil? Well, I know this sounds funny, but before we can know something is evil, we have to know what good is, don't we? Because here's the deal. If you never knew what the standard was, you would never know what something was that was substandard. People usually think of evil or sinfulness or wickedness to mean that which goes against what they believe to be good or right. Now, I got to say, this is at the heart of the debate in America right now. It's a different story, but they're, they're holding to an authority that they think is good or right. So they think of evil as something that causes harm to them or someone that they love. Now, those definitions are not necessarily wrong as much as they are incomplete. The Bible says that the standard of what is good is his holy nature. We read in King David's words in Psalm 51 verse 4, David prays against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So get this, get this. All sin done by anyone, anywhere, 
is really a sin against God. Why? Because God is the standard for what is good. What we're saying is evil is not some kind of creation. Evil is not a thing. The acts of evil are not themselves things, but a lack of a thing. What is the thing? God's goodness. God's standard is the rule. And how do we know what God's goodness is? It's God's moral standard that we find right here. It's, it's not anything else but this. If you try to add something to this, like a different book or your opinion or a political party, you're wrong. You've mixed poison in with it. It's God's moral standard that we find in God's word. So we could say the entire Old Testament, and in fact, the New Testament as well, can be summed up in the Bible by saying, we could say it's God's standard or God's law. Uh, God's law. The, the law of God is the standard for what is good. It's the minimum requirement for what is good. What are we, what we are called to live by. Now, but God's standard is not just in the Bible, is it? No, I mean, it's also written somewhere else. It's written on our hearts. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 2, verse 14 through 16, Paul says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, do not have the written law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the works of the law is, is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The law of God is written on our hearts. We don't have to be taught that murder is wrong. We know that comes in. It, it's, it's part of the hard drive, right? It's, it's pre-written on the hard drive. Now, now, we could go on and on here, but I want us to get there. If we're using the wrong standard, the wrong level of authority, I mean, if we use something other than the, some, uh, someone other than what God says is the standard, that's when we run into trouble. All right, back to Satan working through Judas. Judas was using the wrong standard, wasn't he? He was measuring what he should do by what he thought was best and not what Jesus had planned. Now, by the way, this is the absolute definition of believing something. It's when what we do, not what we say. Judas had said the right thing, but it would be his actions that truly revealed what he believed. Judas had been in the closest contact with Jesus for three years. You don't get any closer to Jesus physically than Judas did. And Jesus let him handle all the money. And yet Jesus always knew that Judas was Satan's man. And Jesus, knowing all this, still chose to follow God's plan of redemption. He submitted himself to evil right next to him for three years, knowing this man would have him killed. 
By the way, just a side note, if you're ever wondering why God has placed you right alongside some evil, evil stuff or evil people, and you're saying, God, why do you have me in this evil place right next to these evil people? That's not a bad question. But you have to ask the question then right away. You can pray uh, your question like this. God, I'm here in this situation with this guy or this girl or this evil situation. What do you want me to do? I don't, I don't know what to do. My question, God, is why do you have me here and how do I live my life for Christ right in the middle of this situation? Now, how do you want me to live my life in the middle of this situation? I want you to be like Jesus here. I want to be like Jesus here. I want to shine the light of God. Please show me how, God. Show me how to live my life, to shine my light in this dark place. Listen, you are in the place God put you And he knew you were going to be right next to the evil. So you could shine your light that you have Jesus right into the darkness. By the way, that takes off the devil. Do you see the difference between the kind of prayer, that kind of prayer, and simply asking God, would you get me out of this situation? God, how do you want to use me now? Those are two different prayers, right? It's hard work, hard work. Nobody says it's easy. God has a plan for you to be right where you're supposed to be. Sometimes that is by right next to evil people and God put you there. Not for you to be doing evil. I'm not saying that. But sometimes you're right in the middle of it. Now, hear me loud and clear. If you're being abused, I'm not saying that you should suck it up and let him hit you. I'm not saying that. If you're being abused, you come find one of these shepherding elders after a service and we will get you to a safe place. We will get you the counseling. We will protect you with the church. But remember, when we face evil and difficult times, Jesus submitted to God's plans and we should too. And God has you right where he wants you to minister. Even, well, let's just be honest to the most evil people on earth. Let's look at the next one. Number two, Judas being included as one of the 12 disciples meant that there was a impartial witness to the moral excellency of Christ. This may not make sense yet, but it will. The choice of Judas provided an impartial witness to the moral excellency of Christ. Now, when we say that Judas was impartial, we're not saying he was innocent. What we mean is that since he clearly wasn't truly saved and wasn't a true follower of Christ Jesus, therefore he did not have a reason to say Jesus was sinless. Now, stay with me. He said it because he meant it. What we're saying is that not only had John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, testified of Jesus' perfect sinless life and true identity as the Son of God, God the Father had also done that twice, saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Follow him. So check this out. Both of those witnesses, John the Baptist and and God the Father, are on Jesus' side. Can we agree on that? Like they believe, like they're going, follow him. But what about Judas? This is powerful, so please grab this. 
God saw to it that an enemy of God should also bear witness to Jesus Christ's perfect sinless life. And that should testify, that he should testify to Jesus' innocence. I'll give you a little while. God saw to it that an enemy of God should also bear witness to Jesus, Jesus Christ's perfect sinless life and that he should testify to Jesus' innocence. You're about to get this. If you haven't already, you're about to get this. You got it down? Jesus says, Judas is a devil, right? Jesus says as much in John 6, verse 70. He knows the entire time Judas is a devil, and yet he pulls him in close as any other disciple. Watch. It's almost like Jesus says, let me pull a chair up for you, Satan, right to the table. I want you to have a close look at Jesus' perfection, his sinlessness. This is powerful. Listen to Judas' testimony about Jesus to the chief priests and elders after he has betrayed him. Jesus is literally in the trial for his life, about to be crucified. He's being beaten as these words are being spoken. Okay, you with me? Look, Matthew 27, verse 3 through 5. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, the guys that just sentenced him to death saying, I have sinned by betraying, watch, watch, innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Look, even the devil, through Judas, declares Jesus innocent of sin. Come on now. That's powerful. Even his enemy goes, yeah, he's sinless. All right, number three. Including Judas in the 12 disciples demonstrates the awfulness of his sin. Including Judas in the 12 disciples demonstrated the awfulness of his sin. Now think about spending three years right by Jesus' side. You had seen the love of God demonstrated to countless people. The blind given sight. Little kid raised to life. The lame become whole, able to stand and walk. Deaf people made to hear. Sick people healed. Dead people raised to life. Now, countless miracles, right? And then to hear Jesus' teaching. Well, and then seeing behind the scenes and knowing that Jesus was just as holy and sinless behind the scenes as he was in front of people. Do you see how terrible the sin of Judas is? Number four. The presence of Judas and the 12 disciples gives sinners a solemn warning. The presence of Judas in the 12 disciples gives sinners a solemn warning. Someone who had unlimited access to Jesus. Surrounded by 11 others that believe Jesus is the Christ. 
And yet, watch, he chose to not believe. You may have raised, been raised in a Christian home, gone to church all your life, but that does not save you. Are you like Judas or like Peter who believes? But it's messed up, but believes. You must be believed to be saved. All right, number five. The inclusion, inclusion of Judas among the 12 disciples shows us that we may that we may expect to find hypocrites among the followers of Jesus. The inclusion of Judas among the 12 disciples shows us that we may expect to find hypocrites among the followers of Jesus. Get this. It's not a surprise to Jesus. He knows who is a real disciple and who is not. Have you ever heard this? I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And in a way, it's true. I mean, the church is full of Christians who all of us still struggle with sin. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. But we don't want to be hypocrites. Why? Well, think about what a hypocrite is. Hypocrite, a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue. Hypocrite, a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue, like a a mask. A person who puts on a false appearance of virtue. Now, many Christians struggle with sinful practice of being a hypocrite, me included, wrestling with sin. We want people to think better of us than we really are. That comes from pride, doesn't it? Listen to me, the only reason any of us are ever saved is because the blood of Jesus. Amen. Not because something you did. That's every Christian. But for those that are not Christians, but they want to look the part of being a Christian so that they can do harm to the body of Christ, the church, that's dangerous stuff right there. That's scary stuff. Because some people begin to believe their own lies. Like Judas, there there are those that never look the part of hypocrites. Everyone believes them to be an honest Christian, and yet they're lost. And trying to betray the body of Christ. They're dead in their sin. Remember, we looked at the externals. Uh, God looks at the what? The heart. The heart. Judas was living with these other 11 disciples. They never expected him. That scripture bears that out. And yet, he was no friend of Jesus or of them. There's simply no good way to say this truth, but let me try. There are Judases among the professed followers of Jesus in the church today. Sitting in the seats, some maybe even preaching in churches. Jesus warns us to be watching for what he called wolves in sheep's clothing. By the way, that's one of the functions of pastors, shepherding elders. That's what we do. We watch for wolves masquerading as one of the sheep. 
And although I don't make a big deal publicly when it has happened in the past, we do act. We get rid of people, wolves that are actively, unrepentantly trying to hurt and or destroy the church. We've had a few over the years. That's why we have shepherding elders. All right, number six. Including Judas among the 12 disciples gives one more illustration of how radically different God's thoughts and ways are from ours. Including Judas among the 12 disciples gives one more illustration of how radically different God's thoughts are and his ways are from ours. Now you might remember our analogy that we used of that tiny little ant crawling on the side of a giant skyscraper. That ant can't know how big the building is or the history of who designed it or how it was built, all the people who built it or the people at work inside it. The ant only knows what he knows, what he's on the side of the building. That's the truth of God's thoughts and ways. They are not mine. We're like the ant. God's ways are infinitely higher. I think I said this last time. Is the difference between the ant and all that knowledge about the skyscraper. That's just good because it'll fit in our little brains. The infinite of God won't. I mean, would you have planned to have the son of the devil? That's the title given to Judas. Working in ministry. Sleeping and eating beside you for three years. I wouldn't. But thank God his ways are higher than my ways and your ways. All right, A.W. Pink, great Reformed theologian from the early, early 20th century said this, that God should appoint a devil to be one of the closest companions of the Savior, that he should have selected the son of perdition to be one of the favored 12 seemed incredible, yet so it was. God clearly had reasons for choosing Judas, more than we could ever put up on the screen here. Here's the point we need to understand. Even when we don't understand God completely and we see no reason for his actions, we still know God, who God is, and we trust him because we have believed in his son, Jesus, as our savior. Even when it comes to our own death or the death of someone we love, By the way, when I say that, it's not the death might happen or it might not happen. It's only when it will happen. Now, I know you, you know that. But do you live your life with that kind of thought? I will trust you, Jesus, with my life, with my kids' lives, with my church. Because I know in the end... I have placed my trust in you. I trust you, Jesus. I place my trust in you. Even if you take my friends, my spouse, my children. Now, what if I, what I find so interesting here about these last couple of verses in John 6 is that it contrasts and compares two men in the light of who Jesus is. Peter, who believes, and Judas, who doesn't. Peter becomes this great confessor. Judas will become this great betrayer. Judas, a monstrous son of Satan, the one 
who sold Jesus, the Holy One of God, out to torture, pain, and death. Can I just ask you this? Are you more like Peter or are you more like Judas? Hard question, I know. But if you could somehow kind of unzip your me suit and kind of step out and look back at your own life, how would you judge yourself then? If you could somehow do that. Are you more like Peter or are you more like Judas? Do you only want what Jesus can give you or do you want Jesus? Do you see the difference in those last three years of Jesus' life? Judas, he had believed that Jesus was a prophet or maybe even believed Jesus was the actual Messiah, but not a saving faith. Some commentators speculate that Judas' motivation was to bring about the confrontation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders and that it would make Jesus kind of finally get up and raise an army and throw the Romans out. When, when Jesus sent out the disciples to proclaim the gospel and to perform miracles, Judas was part of that group. Judas had a kind of faith, but not a saving faith. And you can't lose something that you never had. Judas was never saved. And couldn't recognize the Holy One of God after following for three years. Just like Peter and the others had. What was the difference? Being born again. Brought to life by God. And placing Peter, placing his faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, what a heavy passage. A humbling passage. That in your supernatural sovereignty of your will that you have called a Peter to life. You've called many of us to life. God, my prayer is that you would call the people in this room to you. And those who don't know you yet, God, have not placed their trust in you, that you would save them right now. As you just continue to pray, Christians, you pray for me, you pray for the people that don't know Jesus. If you're not a Christian or you don't know, would you just look up here for a moment? Here's the deal. The question that lies in front of us, every single person, is, is Jesus who he claims to be? Or do you think he's a liar? I've heard some people go, uh, no, he's he's just crazy. He's just a crazy man. Do you believe that? Maybe you think Jesus is just a myth. Even historians don't think that, so I don't know why you would think that. But let's just narrow it down to that. Is Jesus a liar? Is he crazy? Is he just a myth? Or is he the Son of God? That's what lies before you. 
If you have landed on he is the son of God, listen to me. That's not you figuring that out. That's the Holy Spirit of God bringing you to life. Giving you that information in your spirit. So respond. And this is how you respond. Say, save me. Save me, God. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe him to be the son of God. Can you do that right now? Just tell him. You can tell him under your breath. You can say it out loud. You can do believe. And what you're doing there is you're repenting of not believing. You see what I mean? Repenting only simply means turning around and doing something else. Deciding to follow something else. And you're deciding to follow Jesus. What are you turning from? Your unbelief. Your sin. So pray this, if that's you. I do believe. I do believe that you are the Son of God, Jesus. I believe that you have saved me. And you don't have to know all the details yet. We'll help you. So pray this. God, help me to, to learn how to live. Help me to follow you. Help me to plug in here at Bent Tree. By the way, there's something you need to do if this is you. You need to be baptized. Baptizing you doesn't save you. You're already saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What baptism does is shows the world and to that person that you are a believer. It's a symbol that has the old you dying and burying you under the water. That's what we do. We shove you under the water. That old dead you. And then we raise you up in the newness of life. The new version of you. That's coming up. In fact, you can sign up for that today. Come talk to one of these shepherding elders at the end of our service today. Say, hey, I'd like to be baptized. Or I just prayed this prayer. And just end your prayer like this. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for loving me when I hated you. Thank you for offering your son's blood in my place. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.